Anyway, if you would find your Bible, if you have it with you, and turn to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and perhaps you're very familiar with this. It was even read as the men were going around the moon. Remember that? And it was read to us. Maybe you're too young to remember that. But the very beginning, the very start of the scriptures, the very first page of holy writing came and it said in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was it. Sure, he goes on to talk about how creation happened. But that was it. From the very first start, it said, well, in the beginning, God did this. That was it. Now, to be fair, to be fair, uh, we could ask a lot of questions today about where can I find honest answers about that? Because, you know, there are questions that come up in our minds. We who live in a scientific world and who th- focus on modern science and the tests and putting hypotheses together and working that all through. I remember as uh, we used to do that in science projects. We'd have a hypothesis and then we went what we assumed and then we did a test and, and came out with the results. They still teach that today. The, the scientific method is called. Well, we want to apply that and say, how does that work? And there's nothing wrong with trying to do that. But questions come up, well, what, what happened to all the dinosaurs? Why are all the dinosaurs dead? And we find them, we, can't, we see them, the large bones and so forth put together. I, I mean, it's hard to say, well, you know, what happened to them? Or how does the creation story compare with the millions of years of carbon dating? And it goes back and we find these things and we say they're millions of years old, these things that we find. Going back, well, how, how can we cre- put the creation story with that and make that happen? Are, did God really create the world on October 23, 4004, at 9 a.m. in the morning? I assume that's Greenwich time. Why did I put that up there? Because Cardinal Usher, in his work, decided he was going to figure out when creation happened. And so he started working backwards on the dates that he had and following the generations and figuring out time, and he came up to the conclusion, wonderful man, came up to the conclusion that it happened on October 23, 4004 B.C. at 9 a.m. in the morning. Well, when I got to the uh, seminary, one of the things they addressed is, you know, that, that might not be quite accurate. <laughs> You know, we would be skeptical about it, wouldn't we? Most of us say, ah, I don't know, I don't know, no, no. And so that tracing backwards was not very scientific, but it was mathematical, he seemed to think about it. So the creation story leaves us with lots of questions in our minds. Particularly for those of us who sit in the Western world and sit acquainted with the scientific method. We sit in that. Now, if you have questions about that, I don't know if you're aware, but there's what we call the Geoscience Research Institute. If you're not aware of that and you have questions about the creation of the world in the scientific way, this is an incredible source. It's Adventist, but it's extremely well documented. Extremely well. They pull these scientists together to be able to establish how can we have, how can we have a scientific explanation 
for creation and the origins of the earth. And my acquaintance with some of these folks that I have talked with, not only of personal friends, but of people involved, are as honest to the core as they can to just face the facts as they are and to look and to see what explanations. And there are some incredible answers in that. If you would look there on that, our website at grisda.org, you will find articles there, things that are there, explanations for those that help you understand and live in the present world of our science, scientific mind. All right? I put that out for you. If you want to look at that, please do. Well, the story is told about this, uh, this professor. And uh, he was uh, very good in mathematics. And he tells this story. So let's suppose, or use this illustration, let's suppose that you had 10 pennies. And you turned them over on their front side down, and you wrote on the back of each one. You put on the back of each one a number, 1 through 10. So the first one would have number 1, the second one would have number 2, all the way through to number 10. So you have them all marked. And now you put them all into your pocket. And now you shake up your, shake them up. So you don't know. There are, and I could say they're in my pocket. I'm shaking them up. And I'm going to pull out the pocket. What are the chances that I will pull out the penny with the number one on it? What are the chances that I would do that? Well, mathematically, it would be one in ten. I'd have a chance of one in ten of doing that. So now I put that penny back in my pocket and I shake some more. And what are the chances now that I can pull out the number two? The next one I pull out of my pocket. I got all ten still in my hand pocket, but I've shaken them all up and now I'm reaching in. What are the chances that I can now pull out number two? Well, in actual fact, that would be one in 100 chances. That was what it would take. So I put it back in my pocket, and I shake it up some more. And now I'm going to say, how am I going to pull out number three? What are the chances that I would pull out? How many, what chance percentage, what would I have in order to pull that out? And if I pull out number three, it would be one in 1,000. See how it goes? So now let's suppose that I kept going, and I went all the way through, and now I'm down to number 10. And so I'm going to pull out number 10, and I'm going to pull it out of my pocket. I mean, they're all mixed in my pocket, but this, what are the chances that I would pull now, following all in that order, that it would be number 10 that I would pull out? It would be 1 in 10 billion chance. 1 in 10 billion. So you might say, well, hey, <laughs> if you did that, yeah, this game is rigged. You're, you're a magician or something. This, this, this game is fixed somehow. You're doing that. And maybe I have a sleight of hand. I'm pulling them, you know, and I have them in my pocket and tricked you. And you know what? You would be right. And so was creation. It was fixed. I had a young teacher come into my office. He taught public school. He taught the sixth grade. I was early in my ministry, and he came into my office, and I was kind of surprised as I got acquainted with Skip. Skip was also an Olympic bicycle racer, and had competed in the Olympics. 
I actually went and saw his bike. It was a $4,000 bike at that time, and it had no brakes and no gears. He only used it for racing around the track when they did track racing. I said, oh, and it cost you four. Yes, it's perfectly matched to my body, perfectly engineered. Ah, never mind. I'll go down and get a bike from the store. But in any fashion, he came in. And I said, what can I do for you? And he, Skip said, well, you know, I, I have been basically an atheist and, and uh, believed in evolution until I got into what are the chances that this could actually happen? What are the chances that we could get where we are? And when I realized it was genetically absolutely impossible for us to follow, he said, I've had to begin to look. And it was one of the other teachers said, you need to find the answer in Scripture. So, in the beginning, opens up for a lot of people, a lot of questions. But I'd like to have you keep this in mind. Because it's something that is so crucial in the understanding, just those first three words in the beginning. And that is, the author of Genesis was not a modern scientist. In fact, Genesis 1 is actually poetry, Hebrew poetry. If you look in your Bible, sometimes you can see how it is, the headings are a little different than the regular text. If you have that in your particular version, you see, it was poetry. And so, in telling the story, it was not the purpose of Moses as he wrote Genesis, revealed from God, to prove to us exactly Exactly, to satisfy every question of modern science. That was not the purpose. He was trying to share with, with us the power of God to create the world and how the steps he went through to do that in seven days. Now, I'm not a scientist, and I don't play one on TV. So, you will have to say, I tend to deal more in the scriptures. But there is plenty, plenty of evidence for us to look around and find. I was interested in Robert, uh, who was here, not here this morning. One time he was talking to me and says, you know, if you think that through from the modern mind into the creation of the world, you will see it appears that God was using the development of energy and how energy and matter grow. And I had never thought of that. Again, with energy and matter. Let there be light, see? Let there be Energy, we would say today. Let there be energy. So, it is important then, as we look at the scriptures, is not to push our modern science on top of it and to try to interpret everything through the modern scientific mind of something that is poetry, of something that is, the purpose was to show the power of God. Now, I'm not ducking out and saying, no, we can't do the modern thing, but what I'm trying to share with you is it was not the purpose of Genesis 1 to reveal to us exactly the scientific steps that were taken. Recognizing that, then we can move on. Doesn't mean science is out the door, but it means we look at it in a different way. We look at it through the mind of the author. Which brings me to the second one. There's another place in the Bible that says, in the beginning. And I'd like to have you Think about that, and, and that in the beginning, simply in the beginning. You know, Napoleon, 
Napoleon. He was uh, French, if you remember, in the French Revolution. And up came the, rise, the, uh, the era of the rise of reason and the age of enlightenment. And people were going, throwing God out. They were burning the Bibles. They were doing all this kind of stuff. Well, he was out on the Mediterranean at night on a ship. And as they were sailing, he went out and he was walking the deck. Napoleon was walking and he was looking at all the stars. He was out there looking, looking around. When he came across some, some of the sailors who were sitting, and they were resting from their activities as they were sailing, and they were talking and they were going, oh, this God stuff is foolish, this God. You know, I don't believe this is how God got the world going. Blah, 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 on, on. And as he listened to them a little bit, he stopped and he said, and he turned to them, gentlemen, you must get rid of those first. And he waved with all the stars. You've got to deal with that first. First. All right, so let's look for in the beginning in another spot that helps us get an insight into that passage, that thinking. So if you would find John chapter 1. John, now we've moved from Genesis down into the New Testament where John the Gospel writer and the purpose of the book of the Gospel of John was to show the deity of Christ and who he was. And so now he goes back and he begins this particular passage together. And would you look at this? We're going to look at a few verses there. John 1, verse 1. There it is. In the beginning, see? Very same phrasing. In the beginning. So if we're going to look back at the beginning, we looked in Genesis and said all it said was God created and that started. Nothing prior to that he didn't give any history before that, but John does. John steps up and says, in the beginning was the word. And if you read the passage of John, you understand the word, and John used this throughout his writings, was speaking of Jesus. So he's saying, in the beginning was, the second person of the God was Jesus, was the Christ. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So now we have the second person, we have the Godhead portrayed here, seen here in Scripture, in John chapter 1, giving us a hint of what happened before Genesis 1-1. See, there's an there's a in the beginning opening the door to saying before that, before the world was created, there was the second person of the Godhead was there, Jesus was there, he was with God, he was God in fact, verse 2, and he was with God in the very beginning. There we have it again. In the beginning. Going back to the beginning. Beginning of this world. Through him. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. That has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So now John is saying to us, in these first few verses, he's telling to us, here the second person, the, the creator was there. He was the creator, that Jesus was the creator of this world. And in him was life, he was the life giver. And that makes sense if you follow, because Jesus gave back life to Lazarus, did he not? And then skip down to verse 14 and said the, the word, Christ became flesh, became like us, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, and the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Now, he makes that statement after Jesus has ascended. He's, he's writing his book after Jesus ascended, towards the end of his life. And it's, it's amazing because of the experiences that we read in John and the other Gospels. When we were on our Middle East tour, we stopped at Caesarea Philippi. It's at the very head of the Jordan River. And there's a pool there and a pond and a, and a cave where disciples often went with Jesus. And they went there and Jesus, they were resting. You go over the top of the hill that's the road down to Damascus. We think that that's where Paul was on his road down to go to Damascus. So is there a place that you can camp? You can still, I don't know if they allow you to camp there today, but there's plenty of places there. It's a very beautiful spot. And the Jordan River comes and starts its flow from there. And it was there that Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And all the disciples are looking at the floor because they're questioning. They don't know. Because they don't know. They don't know that the man who's standing right in front of them, they would later recognize as being the creator of the world. As being God. As being the one who spoke things into existence. As the one who took and created man out of his image taking the dust of the earth and forming him with his own hands. They, they, they didn't recognize that at the time. So when Jesus said this, oh, finally Peter says, oh, you are the Christ, you are the Son. But it's kind of stunning because he asked them because he knew they didn't know. <laughs> Who do men say that I am? One other place I'd like for you to look, and it's phrased slightly different. It says, from the beginning, okay? from the beginning, and this is going to be easy for you to remember because it's Genesis 1, John 1, and then 1 John 1. Can you it? Now you can take that home and you won't forget it. Genesis, John 1, and 1 John 1, right at the end of the Bible. Some of the last little bit that John is writing at the end of his life, and he begins this again. He begins this as a little prelude to his letter, and he writes this to us, and in verse 1, he said, that which was from the beginning. There we go. That which was from the beginning. Some say, well, that was the beginning of their time with Jesus, and that's fine. But he links these together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Notice that word of life there. We had that back in John 1. In him was life. See, remember? In him was life, the life, the life of mankind. Verse 2. And the life have appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was in the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this, that our joy may be complete. That linking of Christ to God in heaven as being God, and the life, and the life it comes. And we share this, we give our testimony to, because we all saw it. We were all there. And we wrote about it, 
and we testified it. We gave our lives for it because it was the truth. You know, if it's not the truth and you just made this up, you probably aren't going to lay down your life for it. So we have the picture, the story of creation now. Creation that is connected then to the cross. And then the cross is connected to you and me. See that? Creation, why would God create the world, bring it about? Why would he put us on it? Because he loves us. He went to the cross to get us back, to save us. And now he shares that truth with each of us as to whether that's what we want. I don't know if you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a lay, a lay theologian. He wasn't professionally trained, lay the theologian. He wrote some things for his grandchildren. But I thought some things that he has to say are rather profound. And I found this, and I thought he speaks to this issue in our day. I am trying here, he said, to prevent anyone saying that a really foolish thing that people often say about him, speaking of Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing that we must not say, he says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not have been a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, very British, you see, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. True. True. So who is this man? Who is this man? The thing that God never gets afraid of is for us to ask him questions. You know that? You know, if we have doubts or concerns, we'll ask. Not all answers are answered immediately. Not all the questions I've had were cleared up immediately. Some I still ponder in my mind. But if I'm patient, willing to be taught and to learn, to use my, my gray matter, it is amazing how I can find my way back to the Savior. And to see that I can live in a scientific world. I can live in what happens around me and still be faithful to the great creator. And to understand the great, great truths that come through. But science hasn't always been perfect, has it? Science had established that the world was flat. Not always perfect. Remember that? In fact, the church decreed that the church was flat. And if you thought it was round, you would be dis, uh, you would be excommunicated as they did to Galileo. So, so there's, there's, you know, we're not always have been right. Not all science is always right.
but we have to ask that question that always comes back, who is this man to me? Who is this man? And what claim does he have on my life? If you have those in your mind, those questions, right, I ask you and beg with you, make the search. Go find out. It'll be a journey you will love when you realize how much he loves you and what he was willing to do to come and get you. God on the cross. Amazing thought. That his creatures who had rebelled against him, that he went back and provided a way. If they would believe and trust, he would restore them back to where they were. Remember the meek shall inherit the earth, remember? Dear Lord, I thank you for the great truth of just, just the words, in the beginning. And what a picture they can portray and share with us, even living in our modern world, that we can come to understand you as our Savior and Lord. For you, before the whole world was created, created this world and brought to us the gift of salvation to us freely when you, when you understood we would fall. And yet you loved us so much, you provided a way to put us back. We don't have to live in death and sin. That this world will not go on forever as it is, but will be cleaned up and made right. I thank you for your grace in doing that for us, providing to us for us simply to believe. So today, may we recommit ourselves to who is this man? And who do we say he is? In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, I have a few, few thoughts for you to ponder as you go throughout your day. And for those at home, you may want to jot these down. But a few things that you would remember. And I'd like for you to think about it for the rest of the day as you're kind of, you know, I'm remembering talking about in the beginning, well, what was that about? So the first, first thought, first question I'd like to have you contemplate. Is it possible that science and creation can coexist in truth? So if you have questions, the geosciences can help you about that. But let that go through your own mind. Is it possible that science and creation could coexist in truth? Now, one time I was there in the Oregon legislature, and they were, there was a group that was trying to get the creation theory as well as taught in school. And they had brought up people from the University of Oregon, to, from the geoscience uh, department, to talk about, well, you can't do that. Can I? But when we had a response to that, and we brought someone from the Geoscience Research Institute, they were able to answer, and, and those professors were kind of quite, well, where did this come from? I, no, I hadn't thought about that. So is it possible for science and creation to coexist in truth? Number two, am I satisfied with my understanding of what God did when he meant in the beginning? If I'm not, not sure, then it's time to find out. What does that mean? Begin your journey. Number three, with Jesus as the creator, what might that say about his love for me? If he was the creator of the world, why would we do that? We keep the Sabbath in honor of the creation and the creator, don't we? It's in honor of the Sabbath, the Sabbath as the, as the memorial every week of the great creative act. Well, what does that say about God's love for us through him being the creator? Okay, so that gives you something for you to think about and to go. I want you to enjoy your day if you're at home. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week.
at 11 o'clock. Please log on, or you can find us on, if you look on Facebook, you can find a lot of things there. Uh, we put in a morning devotional, if you like that. Uh, there is other things that are available, including some uh, primary Bible studies there that you can have. But we would delight for you to come and join us next week. So God bless you and be with us and be with you throughout this week.